We're starting today on Proverbs. I'm super excited. Who at some stage in their life has read through Proverbs? Cover to cover. It's not a big book. I'm not taking the whole Bible because there's not many have done that. But that'll be a good thing to do is to read the Bible every day. But uh, who's, so can I just have a show of hands? I love Proverbs. I think there's something about Proverbs that just hits you in the, in the, in the, in the middle of the forehead and just tells you what to do, tells you not what, not what to do. And uh, it's, uh, the amount of times it says, don't be a fool. Don't, don't be a chop. Uh, just do, do what the Bible says. And I think, I love that. I, I think there's such wisdom. Obviously, it's a, it's a book of wisdom, but it's, it's, we find such depth of who God is through this. So, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Jesus, that over the next uh, five weeks, as we're going to be looking at Proverbs, Father, would you open our hearts and our minds to see more? God, that, that this book speaks so much of, of, of around finances, around family, around integrity, around making good decisions. And I pray, Lord God, as, as your word says, that it, if any of us are lacking wisdom, we need to ask you who gives in abundance, Father. And we pray for that. We pray, Lord God, that wisdom would rest on us. I, I, over these five weeks, would you just would it go so deep and trench to, so into, into our lives that, that the decisions we make would carry the wisdom of God. In Jesus' name. Okay, so I've got a challenge. We're going we, we're gonna to start putting this up on Sunday, from Sunday, but it's the 30-day Proverbs project, just for P's sake, okay? 30-day Proverbs project. So there's 30 chapters within Proverbs, um, and each day, read one, get a journal. If you've got a Bible, it's good to write in your Bible, it's fine. Just don't add stuff to the Bible. Just It's good to make notes in your Bible. You get those cool journaling Bibles, which I'm going to go buy one this week. And um, spend time each day in Proverbs. And I can guarantee you, after these 30 days, your life will look different. Now, the reality is, weekends, not many of us read our Bible, if we're being honest. Only Marco, because he's a little bit more spiritual than the rest of us. But we made it so, if, if you read... Uh, a chapter day, so it's, it's basically five days, two days break, five days, two days break. Now that's bite-sized chunks for anyone to handle. And, uh, and can I say, just start to, to dig deep into the Word. Start to write stuff down. Just ask God to speak to you. And if you're reading a Bible program already, that's great. Carry on with that. But adding it one proverb a day is going to change your life. So the 30-day project, proverb project, which will take us basically towards Easter and each day as a church, we are digging into Proverbs and praying over Proverbs. Okay, so that's a little challenge. To give a bit of background, can you turn your Bibles to Proverbs 1? I started going through mine. Well, this was Starla's Bible, but I've taken over and I've started. She says, no, I can have it. So I've drawn stuff all over it. Um <clears throat> Just to give a bit of background, it's written, uh, some, of, uh, some of the authorship is by King Solomon. There's also other, other, other dudes that have written in there. But uh, King Solomon was the guy who compiled the book, who put it together. He was known as a man of wisdom. Uh, he, he took over from his father, David. David was this warrior king. God says, listen, I can't let you. David had in his heart to build a temple for God. He says, listen, you can't do it because there's blood on your hands. David was literally like one of those three, the guys from 300 or Braveheart. He slashed a thousand necks. He had blood everywhere. 
And it was a good thing because it was establishing the kingdom of Israel. It was ridding. Uh, it was, killing is not a good thing ever, but you understand what I'm saying. So David was this warrior, poet, lover of God, a man after God's own heart. He had a son, Solomon, um, who wrote this book. And he ended up building the, the temple of God. And there was, there was a, a profound moment where he's like, almost ask God for one thing. This is your like little genie in the bottle moment. Okay, so instead of asking for riches and wealth and all the stuff that probably most kings would ask for and influence, he asks for wisdom. And I'm saying, God, I daily ask for wisdom. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just before middle-aged, kind of, I don't know what, when you're 30, what are you? You're not young, you're not older. Oh, Mark's reaffirming that I'm in my middle ages. Ooh, I better get a Harley, yeah, because that's what guys do when they're in their middle ages. No, that's not going to happen with me. Um, and I'm, I'm leading this church and saying, God, there's these people that are, some of you are double my age. My parents are almost triple. I'm just joking. Where are they? They're double in a little bit. And um, I was like, God, I need wisdom. I need, I need your wisdom to lead people. And uh, this, this is the same thing that, that Solomon was asking for. Now, the amazing thing about Solomon is that he started off so well and he ended horribly. And if, I love how the Bible doesn't mask people's mistakes. Most other religious books will pick a character and make that character look so good and so unbelievable that it's not attainable to any of us. Solomon went from this guy who was, had influence in the nations, who was one of the main kings of that day. Everyone knew who he was. Kings from around the world used to come and ask him for wisdom, uh, from Egypt, all around come and ask him. Yet, he, he died with a thousand concubines, I don't know, tons of wives. He... Uh, he wrote Ecclesiastes. Who's read Ecclesiastes? That's a fairly depressing book. If you don't read it and understand the context, he's just basically saying everything is meaningless. So you had this guy who's, who's God used for a moment powerfully, and I think it speaks something of God's grace that we can still pick up this book two and a half, 2,700, 800 years later, and it, and it can make sense to us. And that's the, I love Proverbs, especially when it's written more in the modern translation, because it, it just hits you. It's like, it's, it's like, oh, wow, I'm dealing with that thing. And I'm trusting that over this time, we, we, grow, we get a greater grasp of what that is. We can learn from, from this, learn from his life. So the purpose of the book, Proverbs 1 says this, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, the king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined, successful lives, to help them to do what is right, just, and fair. Verse 4. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those uh, with understanding receive guidance. And if you look at most of the books that are really... New York Times bestsellers, it's generally something that like, for example, I'm just kind of throwing out these examples, like a Warren Buffett would have written How to Invest. So there's a key guy who has made multiple billions through investing. Through, I remember watching a documentary on him, and from the age of 10, 11 years old, he was buying property, and like, he was just, just made to make money. He understood what it was to make money. So we'll go buy that book, hoping to learn wisdom from Warren Buffett. There will be Steve Jobs about innovation. 
We want to know how this man kept pushing the boundaries, kept pushing the boundaries to, 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 have, to make products that are literally changing the world. I read something yesterday that Apple is going to have a car by 2020. How cool will that be? That, I mean, I, like, I'm, I'm on the fence with being, like, I don't think that Apple products should become an idol because we make it with our hands and we can bow down and worship Apple. I think Apple is a tool that should be used for the kingdom of God. Richard Branson on how to be an entrepreneur. Marco has met Richard Branson. Uh, you want to go read these books because there's wisdom from these wise men who've gone before. And I'm saying, if the Bible says that first of all, Jesus is the wisest person, but this, other than Jesus, Solomon, they say, was the wisest person that lived. We need to pick up, and, and this is greater than any best-selling book. And if, actually, if you go back to it, a lot of business people, secular or Christian, are using principles within the Bible to, to run their businesses, to invest. And we're going to be looking at those things. I, I want to learn. To be honest, I'm, I'm in, in a sense, I'm starting out on the road. I want to be wise with, with, with the money that God has given me and, and He blesses me with. And I, I want to be, and I want to learn from people that are sitting in this congregation to say, you know what, we've done this. We've built a kingdom way and we're seeing kingdom fruit. That's, for me, the purpose of Proverbs is to put stuff in our in, Put stuff in our lives that we're eventually going to see fruit from. We're going to sow. We're going to reap, etc. We grow in our sanctification. A couple of things about the series. We will always point it back to Jesus. He is the wisest. Always has been. Always will be the wisest. We read in Hebrews 1 that it says, Everything was created in and through Him and for His glory. That it was created through Jesus Christ. So any... The wisest man you can think, or supposedly the, the cleverest man on earth, Jesus, and the Bible says that his foolishness is, is wiser than that, than that cleverest person's cleverness. I've just made up a whole bunch of words. I wasn't good at English at school. Okay, so that's fine. Um, we'll always point back to Jesus. 1 Corinthians uh, 1.22 says, As Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. We live in a very Greek-orientated culture. If you look at the, since the Greeks came to the Romans, uh, it went into the, the British culture. A lot of it was adapted. We look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. The gospel will always seem like foolishness to people whose, eye, whose eyes have not been opened through the Holy Spirit. Um, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, which there's no segregation, God has called from both sides of, of, of the party. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. He is the embodiment of wisdom. So when, when Proverbs starts to speak about we actually need to search out wisdom, we need to search out the lady of wisdom, we're actually searching out Jesus. And the amazing thing with us living in the new covenant, we have access to the Father. The Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. What, a, what an amazing thing. We have to remind ourselves that when we repented of our sins, we gave our lives to Jesus Christ, we get His mind. We have, we have communion with God. We, we are able to make wise decisions. Now, Stana, in leading these past four years, we were driving one day, and we are like, we're just having, a, not a pity, pity party moment, but just like a reflecting kind of what we were thinking moment. And uh, we made so many decisions that we honestly thought God was in. And they actually turned out to be nothing. And that's going to happen. And I think wisdom is, is, under, is just, okay, well, I made a mistake. Cool, I'm going to move forward. Some of you have invested money, and it's gone horribly wrong. 
it's a thing of the past. It's time to look forward. God's principles. I wasn't talking about anyone in particular. Um, let me just drink some water. There's four main characters. Wait, I don't want to miss out on stuff. Because it's good for us to understand the context of Proverbs. So when we read it, we can actually get the, the, the fullness out of it. If, if we're looking at the, the, the overall picture of, uh, of, the, of the, the Bible, the Bible's a narrative. It's not a manual for us to just go and look. It's actually a story. Where the story fits within Proverbs is, is speaking to the people of God out of Israel. So you had man that was on earth, Adam and Eve, sinned, messed up. Uh, God made a rescue plan through Abraham. He chose one person that became a nation. That nation gave birth. And God's plan was always to have a people, his chosen people, that it, that it provokes jealousy of the, from around the world that people want to actually follow him. So from the Israel nation came Jesus Christ. Then the Gentiles, which is where we fit in, got saved. And the glory of God has been spreading across the earth. So the whole understanding of these scriptures is that we walk in sanctification. We walk in being more like Jesus Christ, so we can show the world that Jesus is actually alive. You are a picture of Christ to people that don't know Jesus Christ. Our lives should look different, act different. We should be different because of Jesus. So there's four main characters we see in Proverbs. I think I've got them up here. It's the wise, the fool, the simple, and the scoffer. Okay, the wise. They embrace God's covenant his will and his ways. The fool is opposed to God's opposed to God, but not beyond hope. Those are people sometimes they 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 they're kind of opposed to God, but they don't know why they're opposed to God. They're opposed to his ways. Sometimes you can be a Christian fool. Let's not fool ourselves. Okay. You can be a Christian fool. Um, the simple, those who remain uncommitted to either wisdom or folly. They sit on the fence, they're like, I'm not gonna choose God all the way of the world, and they kind of straddle between the two, and then you have the scoffer. This is the proud and the arrogance, and they scorn God's ways. There's many of those on this planet. There's um, Hitchens, there's, there's, there's the new atheists, which literally, there's that video that came on YouTube, what is that guy, Stephen Fry? And he's basically pointing at God and saying, he's like provoking God, which is the scariest thing to do. And I'm like, I actually just pray for him. I pray that actually he bows his knees to Jesus before he, he dies, because there is a judgment already, the Bible says. That if you have not given your life to Jesus, the judgment has already come on you. The other things we're going to be looking at this is wisdom versus folly, generosity versus stinginess, joy versus anger, love over lust, diligence versus laziness, good versus bad lifestyles, real versus false security, justice versus injustice, and what God loves and what God hates. These are the things we're going to be covering over the next few weeks. And I love that the Bible is so clear. Now, Proverbs isn't written in a way where I could start in one and do like an expository preach. We'd be here till the next two, three years. Everyone will be bored. We're like, is there any other book in the Bible? Okay, so we, over the next, I think it's five weeks, we've got Jake Isaac in the middle. We're going to be looking at different highlights. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 3, we've also got it up here. And I think Proverbs 3, it picks out the main, some of the main points. So I want to use this as a bit of like, okay, this is where we're going in this book. And hopefully let the Word of God change us and mold us and, and uh, convict us. Point one is love. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. 
Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That is a profound scripture. I think if there's one verse that you can learn off by heart, let it be this one. Actually, the whole of Proverbs 3 is profound, but let love and faithfulness. Just, just look at that. The amazing thing is that those are twins. Love and faithfulness are twins. I cannot say that I love Starla and be unfaithful to her. It doesn't go together. It's, if, if, a man, if I'm married to my wife, there's a covenant. How do I show that I love? I'm faithful to her. I have eyes for her only. She, she just gave me the look, which was awesome. Um, and um, <laughs> I deserve it. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I think it's, and I think men, I think we have to understand that we can't say that we love our wives but not prove our faithfulness to them. It's a, it's a simple thing. The, the thing go hand in hand. You cannot skip over that. We love God. Do we show our love towards Him by faithfulness towards Him? How are we faithful to God? We surrender to Him. We love Him. We say, God, at the end of the day, we, I think there's a teaching that has been missed in the body of Christ. We, we're great on God being our Savior, and that's, that is in many ways the main point. But Jesus never came just for that. He came so He'd become Lord of our lives. So we, so we actually hand over our lives to the King. And he, and he leads us into great paths. He leads us into paths of righteousness. We go through tough times, but we hang on to the King of Kings. We show our faithfulness so we show our love to God by being faithful to Him. I think we need to remind ourselves of God's unconditional love towards us. How God, His love and faithfulness to us is linked. God is faithful to us even when we aren't faithful to Him. What a profound... There's a picture uh, in, in the Old Testament. I always forget the prophet's name. Gomer and... Hosea and Gomer. It's a picture of how... Where, where Hosea, God says, go marry a prostitute. Go marry a woman who's going to keep going away from you. And uh, he goes and marries her. Eventually has kids. Uh, the, once they've had kids, he, he, he can't find her. Eventually he goes and looks for her and he finds her whoring herself again. And, it's, and God says, this is a picture of Israel. He says, I've been so good to you, but yet you go back. And it's how many of us as believers are like that? God, His grace and His love pours out upon us. But yet we still go link and join ourselves to the world. Yes, yet God is still so faithful. God is faithful. He brings you back. I, honestly, like we could have testimonies in this room of how, the faithfulness of God. That, that He is always good. And no matter what I've done, I can come to the Father and say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me for this sin? God, God's love rushes towards us. His faithfulness remains the same. It says, bind on your neck and on your heart. For me, that is a, a simple way of understanding that is that, that love is an inward thing and, is, and it's shown, shown outwardly. That love has to change your heart and you bind it around your neck. So it's, it's inwardly on your heart. Let the love of God be imprinted on the grace of God, the goodness of God. And because when that happens, what flows out of you is actually love towards one another. No pride, just humility. We act like Jesus. And a challenge for me is that... How, like I, I, I would look back on my life and say, wow, I used to react so weirdly to things. I'm saying, I can see that God is changing me because of my reaction to certain things has changed over the past couple of years. We are, we are continually becoming more like Christ. 
We're not perfect. Jesus is perfect, thank goodness. But we strive towards Him. 1 John 3 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is because they did not know Him. There's the love and undeserved grace. And I think this... There's something in the body of Christ for me that we need to understand about law and grace. I don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but I want to, I just wrote down a few things. I was listening to a sermon and it kind of, I wrote down what this dude said, but it kind of opened up so much in my mind. It says, law brings the commandment that we are left with to try and perform. So you've got law and we have to try, like earn our way to something to get approval, to get love from God, to get, that, that, is, that is the law. Then you have grace where you start with approval I don't want to get this wrong. Grace brings the command that enables you to perform. So you start with approval. You start with love. You start with favor. You start with all of that. And when, when God brings his commandments, which we can see in Proverbs, it actually enables us, enables us and energizes us to want to do the will of God. So I remember someone coming and speak to me about grace. And they're saying, so you're saying that when I get saved, I don't have to do a thing after that for God. I'm like, are you saved? Has your heart actually been changed by Jesus? Has, has your life been radically turned upside down? Because when that happens, your, your view on life, grace works. That's as simple as I was as going to say. Grace enables you to work. Enables you to, Paul writes, he says, I work harder of all of you. It's not me, but it's the grace that works within me. There's something in the body of Christ that for me is robbing people of inheritance because they say, I'll just lean on grace. It's misunderstanding the gospel. It's misunderstanding what Jesus has done for us and what he's called us to do. Second point. I've been going way too long already. Yeah. I may have to cut short. Okay, second point. We submit to the word of God. Lean not on your own understanding and always acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Submit to the word of God. Become a man, a woman under authority. Let the Word of God be the highest thing in your life. If the Bible says do something, do it. If the Bible says don't do something, don't do it. And so we live in an independent society which is good and it promotes free thought. And we, we need to actually get back to the Word of God. We must be like the Bereans. When I preach, you guys need to say, what well, is it actually in the Bible? What? You need to go and know it for yourselves. Don't just, don't just take this thing blindly. Go and search it out. Go and, go and find it. And once you've found out that this is truth, submit to the truth of God. Because for me, Proverbs is, 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 if you had to explain what it's about, it's actually it's understanding God's ways so we can live in this blessing, this abundance, this fruitfulness that God has called us to because we put godly principles in place. <coughs> love your wife as Christ has loved the church. We don't have an option, okay? Love is sacrificial. It's giving ourselves over to our wives. And if we're not doing that, we're not being obedient to Scripture. We need to, we need to understand that this is God-breathed, that this is grace that this is the, the Word of God that changes us. We become under authority. How does this practically work? Let's look at some ones that are a little bit of a struggle. Healing. I think w- when we start questioning and we, we start making theologies um, out of our experience instead of out of the Word of God, that's when we, we can go into error because we're like, okay, well, I'm trusting for healing. I'm trusting for this, I'm trusting for that. And we, base, we, make, we make a theology that God in His sovereignty is overall. But actually, when you go back to the Bible, it says when the kingdom of God came, people were healed. Us, to this day, and probably to the day I die, I'm not going to understand why people aren't healed and some people are. Uh, can we just all be real about that? Like, I, I, I don't get it. 
But I know that the Bible says, and I'm going to keep contending for what the Bible says, that wherever Jesus went, he healed the sick, he raised the dead. I want to read you something. This is from a friend of mine, Brad, who we prayed for earlier. His wife passed away yesterday. Incredible family. Uh, we, were on, we had the privilege of being on eldership with them in another church in the city in Well of Life. They were planted out probably about a year before we did. Established an incredible community on the Gold Coast. And this was about three days before she passed away. She said, someone asked me the other day if my faith has wavered or if I've questioned my faith during this period in our lives. My answer was no. It has not wavered at all, and I've not questioned it. Neither has Pharaoh. The other night, when we thought it would be Pharaoh's last night, she still prayed for me, even in her difficult state of breathing and not being able to talk properly, and her prayer was very powerful. We did not, nor did we question for one second God's love. God has already won the war, even if we don't understand the circumstance. This I do know, whether by life or by death in the body, we will not stop telling of his wonders. There's a man who submitted his heart to Jesus. That sometimes we don't understand. There's sometimes there's mysteries of God that we, that, we, that we don't understand. But he's saying, whether by life or by death, Jesus is going to be glorified. Now, the Bible says, death, where is your sting? Now, Pharaoh was a good friend to a lot of us in this room, and, and we knew her. But the enemy hasn't won. Because what's going to happen is that there's going to be so many people that are going to find out about Jesus because of her death. That ultimately Jesus always wins. We live in this fallen world that we don't understand at times, but Jesus always, always wins. He has the final authority on everything. Bill Johnson says this. He said, many of us practice practical atheism. They believe in the existence of, says many Christians, sorry, many Christians practice practical atheism. They believe in the existence of God, but they turn to the ways of man to solve their problems. We need to get back to being people of the word. Where we faced with a situation, do I, do I take this job or not? I'm dealing with uh, pain, loneliness, I'm dealing with uh, sickness. What do I do? We actually go back to the scripture we face and say, God, your word said. Your word said, and the amount of times that that has happened in my life, that I've seen the miracle hand of God. My grandfather passed away last February. Sorry for all this passing away talk, but it's just kind of... <laughs> um, my grandfather passed away last February. Um, and uh, I, I remember years ago, I, he was really, really sick, and I actually thought he was on his deathbed. I remember going and finding a scripture, Psalm 103, it says, God who forgives all our sins and heals all of our diseases. And, I, and literally, I stood on the Bible and said, your God, your word says, I was very close to my grandfather. And he came out of that, and we had another 14 years with him. And then he passed away. And I had the privilege, never led him to the Lord, but I, I, I definitely pushed him that way. I gave him a book that left him with no, no option. And in that, Greg, can you come up quickly, dude? I know this is right on the spot, but Greg has a... Could you just give some highlights of... Uh, of that story that you emailed me. Uh, yeah, this is uh, putting me on the spot, Dan. <laughs> um, sure. So, um, I, my father used to race motorbikes um, in South Africa, and I actually come from quite a big motor, motorcycling family. Um, so, there's four brothers. Um, <coughs> so, I'm out of breath. Um, 
So um, it, it was a proper motorbike family. So one of my last memories of, of the weekend before my dad died was my uncles beating up a bunch of Harley guys because the Harley guys were hitting on my dad's girlfriend at the time. I'm just trying to give you some background. <laughs> so, um, yeah, my father passed away when I was 10. I went to a pretty good Christian school in Maritzburg, St. Charles College. Um, and two, two years ago when I was saved in City Lights, about a year ago we were at, um, I think it was a, a desert camp or, you know, one of the men's things. And I said to Dan, you know, Dan, there's something I need to ask you. I love my dad. Everyone tells me what a great guy he was. Um, but I don't know if he gave his life to God or not. So, you know, if he didn't, is he going to hell? Or is he going to go to heaven? You know, what's the deal? And um, it's a difficult one to answer, you know, let's be honest. And, and so I didn't have sort of finality, to be honest with you, from Dan. And I think it's very difficult for anyone to. And um, about a month ago, I just posted something on Facebook. Um, I don't know if you guys know Barry Stunder, the South African guy. He was killed. Um, he was n- number three in the world, South African champion, amazing guy. And sadly, he was, he was killed on a, by a taxi in the south coast of Natal. Um, and it was a year of his anniversary of his death, and I just posted something on Facebook, thinking nothing of it. Um, I got, a, I got a, a Facebook message from a friend of ours. Funny enough, the year after my dad died, they moved to Dubai in 1983. And I've always just had this thing about Dubai from the Ross Smith family. And uh, she said, Greg, can I send you an email? Do you mind? I haven't seen her since 1983, or maybe once or twice at the most. Funny enough, she was the first person to take me to Rama Church when I was about this high. And uh, so she sent me this email, and um, she said to me, um, she said, Greg, the day your dad died, everyone was obviously very upset. She said, but me being the first happy clapper, <laughs> and she wrote in her email, um, amongst everyone, that um, she, had, she had dreamt that night, that she was sitting with my mom, and my mom was weeping, and my dad walked in, in the, in the kitchen door for whatever reason and he stood there and he just looked at them and he said please tell everyone that I'm okay and uh, he said to her please you need to go and read I can't remember the scripture now he said you need to go and read the scripture and uh, that was it and uh, the next morning she woke up she had never ever read the scripture before in her life and she went and read the scripture and basically the scripture had said that my father had walked towards death and he was happy, and he was fine. I, I should have, if you didn't put me on the spot, I would have put the scripture up for you. Um, but yeah, so she had never read the scripture ever in her life before. And basically, my dad had just said that he had walked towards uh, death and that he was fine, and everyone was just relaxed. And as it turns out, uh, when we had the funeral a couple of days later, um, there was the Christian Motorcycle Association, and the minister, for some reason, just walked up to Frankie and said, you know, Frankie, I don't know why I need to talk to you, but I just want to tell you that um, I'd been speaking to Keith um, a few few days before that race for whatever reason, and I just mentioned to Keith, you know, that he must give his life to God. And to this day, I now, I thought I was going to break down in tears and cry and get emotional about it, but I think the only way I can explain it is I just have peace now. And, uh, you know, I know that my dad's in heaven, and Maybe halfway through that last race, who knows when he did it, but I just have to believe that he did give his life to God. So, thank you. Greg's used to speaking in front of people, so 
I'm not going to go much further, I think. I'm going to land on this point. Can we pray together? I just want to read something. Jesus fulfilled the Proverbs. It says, in Matthew eleven nineteen. it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Jesus' ultimate wisdom was to lead those who are far from God to, to the, to back to the Father. He's the one we seek after. It says, He showed us the ultimate trust and faithfulness to God by going to the cross. He was saturated with Scripture. He was meek and lowly of heart. He, though rich, became poor for us. He bore the suffering. We can only grow in, in, in an understanding of Proverbs if we understand the costly grace of Jesus. That God is so passionate. Because Greg, when Greg sent me that email about, uh, about his dad, it was just such a... The way it was written, this lady explaining just how that this, this Christian motorcycle station actually led his dad, well, in, just was with his dad in those last moments. I just think, why wow, God is so good that he pursues us. That even if we don't know him, and even though we may be running from him, God's ways come. Do you want to read that? just want to read the scripture to you. Um, it's Psalm 116. It says, the danger of death was all around me. The horrors of the grave closed in on me. I was filled with fear and anxiety. Then I called to the Lord. I beg you, Lord, save me. The Lord is merciful and good. Our God is compassionate. The Lord protects the helpless. When I was in danger, he saved me. Be confident, my heart because the Lord has been good to me. The Lord saved me from death. He stopped my tears and kept me from defeat. And so I walk in the presence of the Lord in the word of the living. Wow. So for me that is incredible that this lady had this dream and that verse, that's, that's amazing. So let's just, all, with all of our eyes closed, I want to give an opportunity if you have never given your life to Jesus. You may be knocking on death's door. We don't, we don't know how, how long our lives are. I spoke about Pharaoh, like this, this lady who passed away, who lived her life with Jesus in the last 20 years of her life to the full. But if you've never given your life to Jesus, I'd love to just pray with you. If you, if you feel you've run from God, the Father is beckoning you this morning. Can you raise your hand? No one is looking. I'd really love to pray with you. Yeah. Thank you, Father. I just think God wants to deal with hearts this morning. He wants us to make things right. the word of God doesn't it's not about information but it's about us being transformed 
Go make right a wrong that you may have done. Maybe a deal that you're involved in. Go make it right. Maybe a family member you've been ignoring for years. Go make it right this morning. Some of you are struggling with, with sin in your life. You can bring it before the Father. You, you are powerless in yourself to stop the sin. Only Jesus, through repenting, say, God, just come and take this from me. Can, can it actually be removed from your life? God, I just pray for your anointing to just come and minister to hearts this morning. What a profound story. What, a, what an amazing moment to land on, Lord God, where you are pursuing us and you are chasing us. I just feel just, there's a, just the word repentance. And I think sometimes we, we misunderstand what it means. Sometimes we think it's just, oh, you're getting on your knees and saying, I'm so sorry, God. And then two days later, you do the same thing that you've asked for forgiveness for. It comes from a Greek word, metanoia, which means to be changed. It means to be utterly and totally changed. That the view that you had of, of running towards a, a sin, an idol, a something in your life, you've turned around and you're facing towards Jesus Christ. And a simple thing this morning that the Father wants us to know is that you can turn to Him. God, would you restore a fire in people's lives? Would you restore your presence, God? David cried out, even when he messed up, he says, but God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Father, we pray for that this morning, God. If there's people that have walked through stuff, let them know the joy of your presence this morning, Lord Jesus.